All right, so um, very excited now for this next presentation uh, by Drummond Reed. So um, as we've been going deeper and deeper into self-sovereign identity and trying to see the different, different benefits and value propositions of this, there's just an explosion of possible use cases and different things that we could do. So one of the toughest things with any new technology or opportunity is just having focus and focusing on real world problems that could be solved and things that could be solved, I guess, in the short term and other things in the long term. And so um, we wanted to explore what's possible and we couldn't think of anyone better than Drummond Reed, the chief trust officer at Evernim. Um, Drummond has been in the digital identity space for it's like quite a while, Drummond. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to, to have Drummond here today and hope, hopefully everyone that really enjoys and gets value out of this presentation. Um, and just a, a reminder again, if, if anyone has any questions throughout the presentation, please write the questions on the chat within the Zoom link and Drummond will try to address them as uh, he's going through. So thank you. I'll uh, give the digital floor to you, Drummond. Uh, thanks very much, Matthew. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, uh, speak with everyone and to, and to have uh, Tim join us. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his work and, 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 and the, the PCTF and the most recent version and, and all the work that he's done to uh, uh, make it uh, both backwards and forwards compatible with, uh, with what we're going to be talking about today. Um, um, SSI. Um, you'll see a number of the uh, of the uh, use case examples I'm going to bring up here uh, reflect uh, Canada because of its leadership in um, in digital identity, and it, they just keep doing it. I don't know what's in the water up there, but uh, it's it's fantastic. So. Um, yeah, let's dive into it. Uh, this, uh, I, I'm not gonna talk as, as much about architecture as I normally do here. I will cover the basics, but I really, we're gonna talk use cases and real, uh, real problems that SSI is uh, already being put to work to solve. So yeah, a little bit of my background. I have, uh, as many said, done, been doing this for over 20 years now. Uh, I've been to all 29 instances of the Internet Identity Workshop. Uh, sounds like number 30 might be virtual. It's uh, at the end of April, so we'll see about that one. I've been working on all kinds of identity standards. And in particular now, uh, I've been working on, uh, uh, was, was involved with verifiable credentials, but I'm one of the editors of the DID spec, the, the, the uh, decentralized identifiers. That's the other uh, key specification that's uh, uh, at the heart of what we're doing with self-sovereign identity. Um, and uh, my day job is chief trust officer at Evernim, but uh, uh, my night job is a trustee at the Sovereign Foundation where I chair the governance framework working group. And that's why we particularly appreciate the work of Tim and everyone on the uh, Pan-Canadian Trust Framework because it is one of the leading trust frameworks in the world uh, and an inspiration for our work as well. Um, and, and I did a lot of work uh, uh, with the uh, US government on the early uh, uh, standards, I always like to call out that they helped uh, uh, fund both the early work on the DID standard and then on decentralized key management. Um, so uh, a number of governments are helping us uh, move this all forward. So uh, just to make it clear for everyone, so Evernim, you know, we're a commercial uh, a vendor, SSI software solutions, um, and uh, based on Sovereign and other Hyperledger Indie networks, um, Evernim contributed the original code uh, and, and helped uh, start up the Sovereign Foundation, but it is a completely independent international nonprofit uh, whose whole goal is 
helping establish self-sovereign identity infrastructure that can be relied on by everyone everywhere. Uh, identity for all is, is our model there. And Sovereign in turn contributed uh, the code to Hyperledger, um, where it originally became the Indie project, and, and then uh, the crypto libraries were spun off into uh, the Hyperledger URSA project, URSA. Uh, highly recommended if you're into the crypto uh, uh, part of it. And, and then uh, uh, a third project was spun off called Hyperledger Ares for the uh, uh, agent of wallet code um, that is ledger independent. And uh, um, so if, if I make references to the Hyperledger projects, it refers to all those. So uh, what, what uh, Matthew and everyone wanted to cover here today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure anyone that's new to the general concept, we have a basic understanding together of verifiable credentials and, and the special governance frameworks. And then we're just going to talk about five major real market use cases. And I'm gonna explain the use case in each case and then provide a, a very specific example. And uh, what, what I like about uh, this and preparing this presentation is there are multiple examples in the real world out there. Not all of them are, are Evernim customers, uh, uh, but, but um, there are you know, not just like solitary examples. And so I, I you know, selected ones I thought were um, you know, the most illustrative that I could easily uh, talk about. Uh, some of them, I just came from the Hyperledger Global Forum event in Phoenix last week and wanted to highlight uh, the, the last one I'll be talking about a presentation that was given there. So it's uh, sort of the uh, cutting edge news. But, um, but I will mention other examples of each of these five. And the second thing I want to say is there are probably at least five more uh, uh, buckets of use cases I could have chosen, but that would have taken too long. So I, I tried to pick the ones that represent the most real, uh, you know, pain points in the market that we are seeing today. So let's dive right into it um, and start out with just some slides uh, that I think many of you, if, if you've seen any of my work before, you've seen these slides where we make sure that the overall metaphor of what we're doing with SSI, uh, verifiable credentials, is I like to you know hold out a wallet and say, we've been doing this for quite a while, we just haven't been doing it digitally. Um, and as credentials are moving on to uh, devices like our smartphones, we are using wallets, we are using uh, things like mobile boarding passes or mobile movie tickets uh, regularly. Um, that's a step in the right direction, but those are proprietary. And what we need to do is move to open standard digital wallets and digital credentials. And that's the work that's been going on at W3C. So this diagram is actually taken from the W3C verifiable credential uh, data model 1.0 specification, which became a full W3C uh, standard last November. Um, so it's been all the way through several years of the standardization process. And, uh, and this, this trust triangle is, is how all uh, verifiable digital credentials work. They all have issuers um, that uh, either, you know, you can think if you're, if you're a physical wallet, someone issued you a credential that you hold in that wallet and you go present to a verifier such as a uh, passport or a driving license when you wanna go get on a plane. Um, the role here in the center of uh, what's called the verifiable data registry is actually quite critical from a cryptographic standpoint, and I'll explain that a little bit more, just, just the high level in this, by moving to this next diagram. 
And again, I want to explain just enough of, the, of, of how verifiable chronicles work so that as we go through the five major use cases, you can see exactly where the technology is providing the breakthrough value. Um, so, so this is again a little simplified geometric version of the of the um, trust triangle, and uh, I want to make sure it's clear what is the role of blockchain? Why why is it uh, a breakthrough in allowing us to move into verifiable credentials? And uh, the answer is it provides us a decentralized way to, uh, to to publish and verify the public keys and other metadata we need so that uh, we, can, we can digitally sign credentials in a way they can be verified. And to do that, the issuer of the credential is the party that needs to uh, write what we call a decentralized identifier and the associated material, including the public key, to um, a blockchain designed for that. Uh, there are did methods are called for many different blockchains. There are over 40 did methods that have been created so far. And, uh, and they can work with any blockchain. There's several with, that work with Bitcoin. There are, I think, nine now that have been written for Ethereum. Um, and then for other uh, uh, SSI-specific blockchains like Sovereign or Veris One. So the issuer takes that step to prepare itself. At that point, it began, can begin issuing credentials, uh, verifiable credentials, in the W3 standard format. And what they're able to do is sign them with the private key corresponding to the public key with the DID on the blockchain. That DID of the issuer is in the credential so that when it goes to the holder and into their wallet, the holder is now able to produce uh, a proof of that credential. And we call them proofs because it's not the same thing as just getting a credential out of your wallet and showing it to, uh, to someone in, uh, in real life because the digital credential with zero knowledge cryptography specifically, you can just prove what the verifier needs to know. If you're entering a bar, you can prove you're just old enough to drink. You don't have to reveal everything on a driver's license or a passport. Um, so <clears throat> that's the proof stage. Now, when the verifier gets the proof, again, it has the DID um, of the issuer. So what it's able to do is read from the blockchain, read that uh, did document, uh, get the public key, and then verify the proof. And we'll have uh, a cryptographic certainty that, in fact, that credential and, and whatever was needed to be in the proof was issued by that issuer. Um, <clears throat> which gets me to the final two points. A credential only has value to a verifier if it comes from an issuer that they trust. Um, so you, you need to have, there needs to be a trust relationship of some kind, but what there doesn't need to be is any form of integration between that verifier and issuer. This is what is so dramatically different about um, SSI infrastructure versus um, federated or centralized identity systems where every verifier has to be integrated with either um, a centralized system or with a, a, an identity provider within a feder uh, federated system. So this is why we believe that uh, verifiable credentials uh, are, you know, they are a breakthrough, they are uh, a paradigm shift in how we can do highly scalable uh, and very flexible digital identity. So this is the, <clears throat> the basic model. I wanna point out just two other things before we dive into the use cases. And the uh, first one is to clarify that uh, under this model, although there are multiple ways of doing it, what we're doing uh, in all the Hyperledger um, architecture is ensuring that all the private information that pertains to a particular um, a holder of, 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 of verifiable credentials stays off chain, stays in, uh, privately in their own wallet. 
And so uh, you notice that there was a DID for the issuer. We do not require the holder to have a DID on the blockchain because the holder is able, when it forms a relationship with the issuer, when it first um, needs a credential, for example, they will exchange uh, what we call pairwise peer dids. And these are dids that are produced directly in the wallets of the, uh, of the, of the two parties, exchanged together with their DID documents, and then kept in uh, synchronization as either one of them needs to rotate keys. So this becomes a private pairwise connection uh, and channel for uh, communications just between these two parties. Uh, when the holder, for instance, first goes to a verifier who is requesting a proof, the same thing happens there. Uh, by default, it's another pairwise uh, period relationship. And what we're building up is a graph of all of our relationships, but each uh, holder in the center of those is, is, is a, a peer with uh, all the others. And these DIDs and, and uh, public and private keys stay entirely private. Uh, you'll never need to uh, share those outside of that relationship, which means it's uh, almost trivially easy now to authenticate and have a secure and private channel uh, as you're sharing verifiable credentials or doing anything else with these relationships. <clears throat> so um, the, I'm going to make one more point and then we'll take any questions about this section before we dive into the use cases. And that is the special rule of governance frameworks. So uh, in many cases, it, it's asked, okay, so if providers have to know, uh, you know, have to be able to trust uh, uh, issuers, um, uh, and this is an example of, of, of uh, from, for instance, uh, healthcare, where you've got um, a, a hospital uh, that might need to know, okay, can I accept uh, a proof of coverage from uh, 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 some insurance company? Well, can they know all the insurance companies that uh, that that that's um, you know that they need to <clears throat> be able to access if it's a very large network? And so the answer you, you, you get to there is you add a second trust triangle, and uh, we call it the governance uh, trust triangle because um, you're adding again uh, another party called the governance authority. And this shows one example of how uh, a governance authority could turn around and authorize a set of issuers to be, to, you know, under uh, what we call a governance framework, a document that they publish. Now, of course, a governance authority can be a government. And uh, so you can see how the Pan-Canadian uh, uh, Trust Framework fit, it fits wonderfully within this model. And uh, in that case, the different uh, provinces, for example, would all be the issuers. Now, they don't necessarily have to issue uh, a verifiable credential to each province. There are many other ways that um, um, they could uh, authorize a, a particular set of issuers. Uh, they can publish a DID list directly, even in the Pan-Canadian uh, Trust Framework or another mechanism, a whitelist. But they could also issue verifiable credentials. And now a verifier for receives a proof from some uh, holder um, from an issuer that it doesn't know directly, it can make a second request uh, of, of that issuer. Can you show a credential that you're part of a governance framework that it trusts? And if you want an example, well, how does that scale? Um, the largest trust networks in the world work exactly this way. If we took the example of MasterCard, for instance, it's a governance authority over the whole MasterCard network. It authorizes every bank that can issue MasterCards to what they call cardholders, which put them in their wallet. And then they go and use it at a merchant to prove that they're authorized to buy goods there. 
So uh, what we've done with SSI infrastructure is we've generalized this so it can be used for any trust network of any kind of information at any scale anywhere, um, all done according to open standards. So, um, so that I'm going to stop there before we dive into use cases and.